Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Tyler Aki and Jonathan Hoppy coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina on the heels of ACC Media Kickoff. Great event down here in Charlotte that took place on Wednesday and Thursday. And we, we got the chance to kind of digest everything, go through and see the ropes, get a, a real good grip on what this team is going to be for 2018. So we're, we're going to digest everything that we saw for you here on Fizz Radio today. As always, be sure to follow us online at Orange Fizz. Also check out our online content, including a couple of threads that we did. So be sure to go to orangefizz.net to read all of that stuff. You'll get to see the pulse of the Orange offense, defense, as well as some interesting stuff that was said by some of the other coaches and players that were in attendance at ACC Media Day. And also be, look at for us on iTunes, SoundCloud. Be sure to subscribe to us. Drop us a five-star on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Jonathan, first of all, a, a great event down here in Charlotte, and you're a vet at this event now. That This was my first ACC media kickoff. Good to get the first one under my belt. Now, let's start offensively with this because we, we – heard from Eric Dungy, we heard from Dino Babers kind of talk about this offense and again, it's a lot of what we expected in terms of this is just a giant PR push, try to get get the name for a program out, especially with a team like Syracuse who doesn't really get a lot of press in terms of football, but this maybe is the start of something now with you got Dino Babers out there, again he's always good with the media and then along with that you also have a guy like Dungy who's got some charisma to him as well. Now, when you break it all down, what was some of the things that really stood out to you that was said from this past week? Well, first of all, Tyler, I just want to point out, I haven't really told you this even off the air, but I think there was more of a crowd in terms of the media at this kickoff for Syracuse than there was last year. And being there last year, there really wasn't a lot of buzz about Syracuse now I think that picked up this week. I think we saw the appreciation for a guy like Eric Dungy and for someone like Dino Babers who is trying to do a good job with this program and it so far has done so just looking for that win total to pick up a little bit. So that's one of my takeaways is that there was more enthusiasm for Syracuse football by members of the media and hopefully that translates into the season. But And, and even some coaches as well because you heard Dabo Sweeney say it as well that I mean, he was he he made Eric Dungy seem like he was the best quarterback in the conference. By the way, he kind of singled him out for his performance against Clemson in, in a game that we actually have it on right now because it's on ESPNU. But he singled out Dungy and said, "This kid's tough. This kid's got moxie, charisma, and quite honestly, I thought he was going to go this year to the NFL draft, but he's back, and, and he's not happy that he's back because he has to face him one more time." That was great praise from a guy like Dabo Sweeney. National and champion Dabo Sweeney. He knows his quarterbacks, and he's got quite the controversy with Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence. But I think you're right. Dabo saying that, there's a number of other things. And you talk about him saying that Dungy is the best quarterback in the ACC. Well, you and I both voted in the ACC preseason media polls. 
and there wasn't a lot of other options other than Dungey. I actually went with Ryan Finley. Yeah, I, Ryan Finley, I'm sure, is another I know, popular I one. know you don't like Finley that much and, and might even think Dungey's that guy, but how do you got to feel if you're Syracuse that you've got a guy like Dungey even in that conversation? And th- that's kind of what stuck out to me is you've got Dungey and Slayton, two really good players on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. That's never really been an issue for Syracuse because last year you had Zaire Franklin, who we know is is exceptional and was so good for Syracuse, and Eric Dungy. And if Dungy is healthy, he could be one of the best quarterbacks in the ACC. Well, not just the ACC. I think in the entire country. He's up there. He's in that conversation. And that's what sticks out to me in terms of this performance by Syracuse, performance, if you will, at this ACC media day is there seemed to be a bit more real enthusiasm for Syracuse football. But actually what they said and what we learned, got to start with the depth chart. Okay, it all starts on the defensive side. Syracuse coming out with a 4-2-5. That's a nickel formation. Getting away from Dino Baber's traditional 4-3 Tampa 2 sort of look. That's what stands out to me. Antoine Cordy slated to start at the nickel. And then at the free safety position, freshman Andre Sisco, he's going to be paired up with Evan Foster at the back of that Syracuse defense. That's what stands out right away. I know we're going to go more in-depth on the defense but after the break. But overall, that was really it. We didn't have too many things go off for Syracuse. We talked about Larry Fedora earlier in the week in the FizzCast, and Dino Baber said nothing like that. So really nothing... <laughs> Off the he didn't compromise the program over the week, and I think that's a he great. John Wildheck could not be more thrilled. I, I don't know who the UNC AD is, but I'm sure he had Larry Fedora in the office uh, the very next. Everyone whenever he gets that, back that to Chapel, Dino Baber has made it out unscathed because you know fellow reporters were trying to bait these coaches up a little bit yeah. and get someone to agree with Fedora. And it's just kind of, to add to that headline. It's kind of funny too because I believe Fedora went first out of all of the teams in, in the entire conference and he was the one that, that kind of got the huh? ball yeah <laughs> got the ball rolling and then everyone else just kept kind of probing and probing and everyone, no one took the bait yeah, no one took the bait they saw all the backlash that fedora got so no one went too rogue on syracuse which i guess is a good thing in a sense so every everything's good between the ears up in central New York. You're listening to Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Tyler Rocky, Jonathan Hoppy. Got you here until 10 o'clock on this Saturday morning. Talking some SU football ACC media kickoff here on the score 1260. Now, I think the one thing that really stood out to me, and I guess it's it's not surprising, but you mentioned how there was a lot more media attention, it seemed like, around the Syracuse program. Everyone wanted to know about the Clemson win and is this still talked about and and how have you built off of that because that is your last win that you've had as a program it it came all the way back that last October game so it's been a while since Syracuse has won but it's a huge win the only team to top Clemson in the regular season when the Tigers were ranked second overall in the country but that was obviously going to be the buzz coming in a little bit at least from the national perspective and I think that just kind of that hangover that's kind of looming of what this Clemson win means for the program. That really puts Syracuse on the map, and I think people are starting to take the program seriously again. I would agree. I think that does help. But what that also brings up is why didn't they win a game after Clemson? (laughs) And I think that was really the second thing that the reporters were hitting on is you can see them trying to formulate their stories for the national press and people that don't follow the Syracuse team like we do – we know with that, we talk about it all the time, 
those people see Syracuse and they're like, why can't this team win after the bye? And so many questions were posed to Dino Babers about that. And what he told us is there's a lot of things that are in his control that he's trying to change. When I even talked about the injuries being out of his control, he tried to take blame for that. So Dino Babers is clearly in the right mindset. He knows that he needs to win games. He knows he needs to change something. Not going to tell us what he's trying to change or what he's doing differently. That's all strategy, and and that's not going to come out. But he made it clear that he knows this team needs to be better down the second half of the season. And they've said they've talked about it. All offseason, the players say that Babers has said, we've got to be better in November. Because someone said, do you sort of not bring that up, or do you talk about it? And he said, oh, no, we talk about it That's a lot. That's all they talk about, it seemed like, based on what Dungey was saying, based on even what Chris Slayton was saying as well. It seems like that's something that's really hanging over their, over their heads right now because you haven't won a game after the bye with Babers, and, and that's a problem. It's bad. And, it's really bad. Granted, the Dungey thing's been tough because you haven't had your best player out there on the field to do it, at least your most impactful player, but... Again, you got to find a way to win no matter what because the cards aren't always going to stack in your favor if you're Syracuse. Again, injuries happen. A Dungy injury, as optimistic as he seemed this week that he was going to play in all 12, maybe the 13th game if you get to a bowl, as optimistic as he was that he was going to see the field for the entirety of the season, you can't guarantee it given his track record. And a lot of it was uh, he thinks that it's all freak injuries, and, and that's kind of what I've been saying too. It's these little things. And another thing that kind of got brought up with Dungy is his injury history because, again, it seemed like concussions and CTE were at the forefront of not just ACC media kickoff but the SEC media days as well. This is kind of the story that's taking over the nation right now. And they asked Dungy, how many concussions have you had? And he basically said, I can't disclose that because it's personal medical information, but it's not nearly as many as you guys are making it out to be. And... I tend to side with him because I think, again, you get one, you get two. Once you get that second one, you kind of get the label of, okay, this is a concussion-prone guy. Like, when's the next hit going to blow up his career and end it? But I wouldn't be surprised if it's not as many as we think. And also, he said that he's really only had one bad concussion, and that came against Central Michigan his freshman year when he got lit up on what he calls a dirty hit, and, and quite frankly, what was a dirty hit back in 2015 you know I think that I side with Dungy too I mean why would he really lie about that he has no real reason other than to sort of change the narrative but what he can't change is that he hasn't been on the field someone brought that up to Dino Babers you know you've got Eric Dungy who is going to be you know I think three years in this system and and Babers said well he's only played like a year, a little over a year. <laughs> right, yeah. And that really resonated with me because Baber said he doesn't have quarterbacks that stay, that play in his system for more than two years. And at this point, Dungy's getting up there. But I'll tell you this, Tyler, people will be doing cartwheels in Syracuse if Dungy is playing in game 13. And <laughs> Absolutely. There's, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I think we're all rooting for it to happen. We all want to see this young man stay healthy. But it just hasn't happened And can he change that this year? That's sort of the story for this team is can they stay healthy? But here's the thing. The difference for this year's team compared to last year's and the years before that, this team has some depth. 
not only at the quarterback position, at the offensive line position, the receiver group inexperienced. There's still depth there. Defensive line is deep. Linebackers, clearly a weakness on this team. But you look at the secondary, and there's also a little bit of depth there. Not that much, but you like your depth if you're Syracuse because you know there's going to be some preseason injuries, some injuries in the middle of the season, beginning and at the end. So you like your depth, and you hope your quarterback can stay healthy. That's number one, but the depth should also help with those other nagging injuries throughout the season. I want to hit on a couple more offensive things, but first got to take a break. On the other side, we'll get to the running backs, receivers, as well as the offensive line. We'll also talk some defense as well. That's coming up on Fizz Radio. All right, we're back on Fizz Radio. Score 1260, Tyler Rocky and Jonathan Hoppy from Charlotte, North Carolina, the home of ACC Media Kickoff. So, Jonathan, we just hit on a bunch of offensive stuff. We're going to continue a l- with a little bit more on that side as well before we get into some defensive stuff later in this segment. But So we talked a little bit about Eric Dungy, what's his potential and all that. Now, one of the big question marks with this Syracuse team comes at the wide receiver position because, again, not a lot of experience there, but this team is pretty high on the depth that this receiving core has for 2018. And again, it seemed kind of like a glass half empty type of confidence out of Dungy. Like he knows there's going to be a guy who's just off the charts. He just doesn't know who it's going to be exactly because yes, he's played with Sean Riley. He's kind of played with Nikeem Johnson, but we're throwing in guys like Sherrod Johnson into the mix. Jamal Custis, who really has seen been on and off the field throughout his Orange career. And and Syracuse is also going to have a couple of freshmen who might be able to step in, like an Ed Hendricks or, or a redshirt freshman in Russell Thompson Bishop. So the pieces are there. You just don't know who's going to be the one that steps up. And, and I get why Dungy's concerned, because it's kind of nice to have the stability. And he kind of said, yeah, They've said this to me the last two years. Who's going to replace Amba? Now who's going to replace Steve? And it just kind of naturally happens year to year. So that's why he's feeling confident, but at the same time, he just doesn't know who it's going to be. But I'm with him. I think there is going to be someone that ultimately steps up and is that 90-catch, 1,000-yard guy. Well, quickly, I want to put you on the spot. Who is that guy for you? Because I know you're really intrigued by this. If you had to say right now, who do you think it's going to be? I'm in a toss-up right now, but I really do think it's going to be Jamal Custis. I think this is where we finally see him break out. Again, he's got the the size and the speed. Six foot five, and he runs a four three or four four forty. He showed the flashes last he year. He did, and he he's the physical specimen that you want on the outside. But I, I think it's going to be his. But I could also see it being Devin Butler. But I'm going with Jamal Custis as my pick. Devin Butler obviously has the familiarity with the system in the sense that he's been on the field a lot more frequently than Custis, and Custis really has kind of been a disappointment throughout his Syracuse career. Absolutely. Because when you've got the metrics like him, the size, the speed, and you're just not putting up the the catch totals, the touchdown totals. Well, he's not on the field. I mean, he missed so much time last year with injury. That's what it comes down to. So can he stay healthy? Can he be healthy enough to be that guy? That's the question. But we talk about it all the time. You know, we say punter you because there's been so many good punters mm-hmm. in the Syracuse history. Well, Dino Babers is like the wide receiver whisperer, if you will. He's had so many good wide receivers. That's just sort of his position that he's made guys work 
when maybe they're not the household names like a Steve Ishmael or an Amba Etatawo who transferred in, that's why I'm optimistic. I'm worried about the linebackers, and we're going to get to that in a second. I'm very worried about the linebackers. But as for the wide receivers, I'll take Baber's word that he's going to make it happen. I know he's going to. There's enough potential and depth on the roster. I feel like one of these guys we're talking about is up for the challenge. And if that's the case, I think if they follow Babers, he'll lead them to the right place. Yeah, the the thing with me too, and, and my sleeper pick, and it's probably not going to happen this year, would be Ed Hendricks because he's one of the top recruits in this class of 2007 or 2018. And... I think he's going to be an impact player, especially down the line. But it might not be this year just because of the nature of freshman wide receivers in college football. I think last year, no freshman had more than eight or 900 yards in the entire country. For some reason, I always think of Jimi Hendrix when you say Ed Hendrix. <laughs> I mean, same last name, but that's what I think of with Ed Hendrix. But what I should be thinking of is what you're saying, is that he is a top talent in this freshman class. And you got to talk about that redshirt rule. That's got to excite right. you. Maybe someone like Hendricks can come in later in the season if he doesn't play much and someone gets hurt and come and flash that potential. For those of you that don't know, the redshirt rule is huge because now these guys can play up to four games and still get redshirted. But the thing about Hendricks, too, is I almost think he's too good for that rule. Like, he's going to be on the field for, I, I, I would wager a guess that he'll play every single game. Because he's that talented, and the fact that Dino or that Eric Dungey is talking about him at this stage in his career, that means he's showing something on the field. He's ahead of the curve, and we know on the defensive side, Andre Cisco is shaping up to be a starter, and he looks like he's going to be the only freshman starter on this team. So the fact that Ed Hendricks is even that close, even though he's not necessarily listed on the depth chart, I still think he could be a guy who is going to end up playing 10 to 12 games this year and and is too good for that redshirt rule. I think that's a possibility because when you look at the wide receiver depth chart right now, you know, he's not listed there, but there's a lot of guys that back up the starting receivers of Devin Butler, Jamal Custis, Sean Riley, and Nikeem Johnson that really haven't heard of. If you're not a real follower of the team and and you're just a casual follower, you haven't heard about guys like K.K. Hahn and And like you just mentioned, Thompson Bishop and Sherrod Johnson, those guys. So maybe an Ed Hendricks comes in if those players are forced to play major minutes and they can't, you know, live up to the task. So I think it's going to be something to watch. And you mentioned the safety position of Cisco. I think you can almost pencil him in at that free safety spot because there's not a ton of depth. I mentioned there's a little bit, but that's really because I like Evan Foster. I like Andre Cisco. I like Antoine Cordy in that nickel position. So those three are solid. If one goes down, you've got Trill Williams, who is another freshman that's battling for a second-string spot. But like I mentioned, to, to finish up with that redshirt rule, you can play up to four games and still get redshirted. So to put it into context, last season, down the end of the year, Tommy DeVito could have come in and played at the end of the season as opposed and probably to, would have. He, he probably would have, and you wouldn't have had <laughs> We even the saw Dino Babers kind of hint at it when he was asked about the new redshirt rule that he really would have liked to have it because I think he wanted to play Tommy DeVito because that could have been the difference and between that's a bowl game nice. and, and a not a bowl game. You don't get a guy like Tommy DeVito to sit him for a year. When you have Eric Dungey, you do. But he's someone that can come in and play as an Elite 11 quarterback, and if you're Babers, it's tough to watch 
the offense be so abysmal once Dungy goes out when you know you've got DeVito in there, someone you recruited for this team and someone you think can be really good, and they just got to sit because they're redshirted. So potentially an awesome rule, and I think all the coaches expressed that this week. The commissioner likes it. It's going to be good for football, and, and they like the early signing day period as well, which you know you can get all the coverage right here on Orange Fizz. So some interesting rule changes that I think are going to work out nicely for Syracuse and, and really the rest of the nation. Talking some Syracuse football here on Fizz Radio, score 1260, Tyler Aki and Jonathan Hoppy. I want to get to just really quickly hit on these running backs because Eric Dungy seems really high on them. Dante Strickland, Mo Neal. By the end of the year, I think Mo Neal is going to be the guy. And Dungy says that he's really transformed his body. He's bulking up. He's getting faster. And then he goes on to say that Dante Strickland is one of the more underrated backs at this point in college football. I don't buy that second statement, but... Well, it's hard to be rated lower. I got to tell you, I mean, I mean, Dante Strickland, he knows this. He's not a fan favorite. You know, he's a downhill runner that doesn't often run that far downhill. So I can see where Dungey's coming from. Hills. Right, more of a little bump and then, you know. A ramp. Runs into nice another ramp, ramp on the way up, which pushes him <laughs> off. But I can see where he's coming from. But I think it all comes down to that offensive line. If you've listened to us before, you know I'm high on him. Baber said today, best group he's had. I think that's going to lead, really, Tyler, I think the pressure is on Strickland and Moneal to deliver this year. I think the pressure is on. There's going to be better blocking. One of these guys has got to step up as the lead rusher, and they've got to get, I hate to put a number on it, but you'd like to see him get a lot of yards and make this offense two-dimensional instead of just heavy pass game and, and dungy scrambling and ultimately getting hurt. So I think we want to see that change. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if Eric Dungy is the leading rusher again this season. He, I mean, he was last year Let's by see a that hefty change. margin. If that changes, I think that's going to mean great things for Syracuse. Yeah, and I think that I think Mo Neal is going to be the guy when it's all said and done. He's just got that home run ability that you could really use in an offense that really prides itself on being fast and moving the ball quickly down the field. Again, we've seen 30-second drives that result in six, so... That would be really nice to have in both the passing game as well as in the running game potential. Let's go to the offensive line that I know you're so high on. And like, like you mentioned, Dino Baber says this is the most talented unit he has had at the offensive line position. That's really going to change how this offense functions. He was gushing about this group today. I mean, I asked the question in the audience of reporters and he was so excited that I fabulous asked that question. Fabulous question, Jonathan. I wasn't going to say it, but he did say it was fabulous, which only further proves my point. <laughs> I of forgot how that he called it fabulous. It I knew that he he complimented you on it, but then I was looking through the transcripts uh, earlier. <laughs> fabulous, and he just goes, fabulous question. What a, what what a way to end! But he said it's going to be an advantage for him. Now, being the best offensive line he's had doesn't really mean much because I don't know. You know what? Last year the offensive line took a lot of blame. But Cody Conway and Jamar McGloster were solid tackles. Now you get Conway back. You get Coda Martin, who I said had an up-and-down year, up-and-down career at Texas A&M. Babers didn't like that too much. He told me it was more of a systematic issue for Coda Martin and not exactly sure what was going on. So I think we can expect – I have high expectations for Coda Martin. So then you've got two tackles anchoring it. In the middle, you've got Aaron Service. And the big thing is you've got experience all around. You've got Sam Heckel fighting for that left guard spot. 
and he's fighting with Aaron Roberts, who missed the entire season last year, but he's a redshirt senior. Sam Heckle, just a redshirt sophomore. And Heckle was the one that slotted in last year for Roberts and did a great job for the most part. He started 12 games. I thought he, he was very good. I really did. And he would, every once in a while, show up on those pro football-focused all-ACC teams. Now, take those for what you will, but it shows Syracuse is getting noticed, and especially at the offensive line position. I think that's where some of those PFF metrics really come out and show who's playing well. Evan Adams, right guard, started 12 games for Syracuse last year. Coda Martin, 12 games at Texas A&M. Cody Conway, 12 games at Le- So you get the point. There is experience on this offensive line, and their skill. I mean, these guys aren't just big dummies, you know, big trees that are just going to stand there and get blown by. These are guys that can block. They can run block. They can pass block. That opens up everything. And the most interesting thing that Dino Baber said about the offensive line He thinks it's going to be really helpful in November when Syracuse hasn't won a game under Babers because it gets there, especially if you've got a quarterback that's not your starter, you can run the football. And that changes the dynamic of a game, changes everything. To be able to go into those enemy territories and and run the football is huge. This is a team, I think, and we know they like to go fast tempo, so you don't really think of running with fast tempo This is a team I think can really run the football this season. Haven't seen that in the past. All right, real quick, I want to hit on defense. We touched on it a little bit throughout our our offensive talk. But with this defense, again, Chris Slayton seemed to have a vote of confidence in the linebackers. Dino Babers, not so much. I remember you posted a video from our account at Orange Fizz that basically said, he, he wasn't high. Let's no. just put it that way. I'll no, let you he, explain. What he said was, is the linebackers are like young puppies. And that you come into the house and sometimes you get in and you're like, what the heck happened when I was gone? And he said, you know, they're going to be great house dogs one day, but right now they're just puppies. And he used to say this a couple of years ago about the offensive line. You know, they're going to grow up and be dogs is what he said you know he's always good for those little stories that somehow always involve animals and that's something to be on the lookout for he's always straight up he said this linebacking group has a lot to prove everyone knows that but let's see if they could come out and prove it and the switch to the nickel will sort of neutralize that but at the same time Whitner and Guthrie are gonna have to perform I mean a guy like Keelan Whitner has started four games. Ryan Guthrie has started none. So that's four games of experience at linebacker. Now, we don't know what they can do, okay? And that's what Slayton told us is you haven't seen these guys. We know who they are. They're experienced because they've been on the practice field for a while, both being, you know, a redshirt junior or senior. So I got to think that that's going to factor in in terms of they're both seniors, actually, Whitner and Guthrie. That should factor in. Now let's see if they can go out there and perform. Yeah, again, the whole mantra with them is that they're experienced, even though they don't have a lot of starts or playing time to their name. Uh, Last thing, Andre Sisco, and it seems like the the gush parade has really continued with him. Yeah, it's really picked up in the past couple of weeks. Chris Slayton loves him. He says he, he's very surprised with how physical he's been so far early in camp. That's a good and that's, sign. Uh, yeah, exactly. Great sign. 
Florida kid out of IMG Academy. So the fact that he's playing physical out of the gate, it shows why he's going to be a starting safety on this Orange team in 2018. I've been high on Cisco. I'm pretty sure you've been high on Cisco as well. And, and Trey Williams, too. Trey I mean, yeah. He, he's not getting a ton of love. He's also a freshman. These are big guys, 200 pounds at just over six feet. That's good size for a safety. Physicality and speed, that's what you need. So look out for Trill Williams. Right now he's battling for the number two at the cornerback position behind Scoop Bradshaw. So that's another freshman. And I think we're seeing the recruiting classes get better and better. And we cover recruiting here. You like the trajectory of the recruiting. I like it too. So we'll see what happens. But those are two guys that have gotten a lot of buzz. And Cisco is going to start as a freshman. Dino Babers has said the recruits are getting better. And he's right. We're, we're going to see it this year, I think, especially at the receiver what do you call this? and secondary. What's the year he says this is? That confusing term that no one understands. The, he says this is the bridge year or the the break year. Isn't that yeah, what he says? Yeah, the break year. Mm-hmm. And no one knows no, what that no means, one knows what really. We'll find out one day. Let's hope the losses break. That's yeah. what he's talking about. <laughs> the, the losing streak. We'll break it. <laughs> All right, coming up next, we're going to go through the rest of the Atlantic Division. You're listening to Fizz Radio. We're back, Fizz Radio, on the score 1260. Tyler Anki and Jonathan Hoppy with you from Charlotte, North Carolina, the home of ACC Media Kickoff for 2018. So, Jonathan, we've gone through Syracuse. We've... uh, really broken down the offense a lot of the offense and not as much but still a good amount of the defense let's get into the rest of the teams that we saw at this ACC media kickoff again we don't have a lot of time here so we'll get to our ACC Atlantic Division predictions in a second but first who was one of the teams that really stood out to you this week you want me to stay in the Atlantic or can I go anywhere Actually, go anywhere. I'll let you go anywhere. Well, my team would be Pittsburgh. Uh, I think Pat Narduzzi's team, it, it looks pretty good. And you got Kenny Pickett at quarterback. Think about this now. This is a team that beat Miami at the end of the season when Miami was still undefeated. That's what sort of set things bad for Miami. And, and they ultimately lost in the ACC championship game. Then they got smoked in the Orange Bowl. So that's the team I look at, Pittsburgh. Darren Hall is one of the best running backs in the entire nation, definitely in the ACC. So you look at those two guys right there, that's a team I like in Pittsburgh to be in the Coastal. I think they're going to come in third in the Coastal Division behind Miami and Virginia Tech. Now, if you want me to stay in the Atlantic Division, I don't know. I I think I'm a bit higher on Florida State than people are, So, but that's kind of obvious. Florida State was the team that stood out to me in terms of what they were trying to bring to the table. So you you knew coming in Willie Taggart would be the guy that kind of tries to stir things up and and get get you going, and and he delivered that, in my opinion, at least on the Atlantic side of things. So he's got this mantra that really just confuses the hell out of me. Lethal simplicity. Like I, I just don't know what that means. <laughs> do, do you? <laughs> and he kind of said it in he passing. He got asked about it. The players got asked about it. It was kind of an unclear, you know, what does it mean? But I guess it, you're right. It's it, it's sort of a, you an, know, oxymoron. an oxymoron. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's funny, but I think it's just so simple. It just might work. You know, it's one of those things that, that lethal simplicity. I think the key word there is simplicity and not lethal. So it's just, let's play football. 
And that's what he has to do. Think about how much talent is on that roster. And Jimbo Fisher just left for Texas A&M. Didn't get fired. But there were some weird things that happened last year. But there's so much talent. Willie Taggart is coming here to win this year. Now, they're just returning four starters on defense. So that's the question mark. But I do think they're still going to come in second place. That's, That's just my gut because... You read an article earlier today by the Raleigh News and Observer had Syracuse tied for second in the Atlantic. With, granted, it was with five Basically teams. everybody. <laughs> it was a sandwich of Clemson, Louisville, and then the rest were all tied Which for second. Which is really weak by the News and Observer. I've got <laughs> to say, you've got to make a little bit more of a ballsy choice than that. That's just grouping everybody together. So I'm not going to sit here and do that, but a team I don't like is Louisville. I just don't like that team because... I think Bobby Petrino is heading downhill. No Lamar Jackson. I think there'll be a hangover. Jawan Pass is good, but he's not Jackson. And we already saw this team sort of trend downwards in the even final with, season yeah, of Jackson. Jackson. They've got great receivers. The defense is a question mark. So that's my last place team in the Atlantic Division is Louisville. Uh, one, one more quick thing about Florida State before we move on and give our predictions. The real thing that kind of stood out to me, too, about Willie Taggart was he puts the onus on his players. And, and he kind of did that with us in the media that were sitting there. He says, uh, on his way out, he says, thank you very much and have a great day if y'all want to. He, The choice is yours. And that's kind of what he's imparting on his players. That was pretty <laughs> and, powerful, And, and I love that it? line. I just love that line that he delivered there. Have a great day if y'all want to. It, it's on them to have the great day. I, I, I just like that a lot. Yeah, I think that's sometimes what players need. And you saw Cam Akers, who was also one of the best running backs in the ACC. He was fired up about it. And guess what? Florida State, they've got quarterback controversy just like Clemson. But it's a good thing because you've got multiple quarterbacks that can play. We talked about Clemson a little bit earlier. Who's going to start? Who's going to finish? But for Florida State, DeAndre Francois, who got knocked out against Bama, and that's what really set off their terrible season. His job is not guaranteed. James Blackman came in last year and did such a good job with all those bad pieces and in sort of a uh, train that was destined to fall off the tracks. But Francois is going to have to win the job back, so that is healthy competition, and you could tell that Willie Taggart really liked that. All right, real quick, we got to go through these predictions for the Atlantic Division. I'll let you start. All right, I'm going Clemson, Florida State, NC State, Then I'm going to have to think about it and go Boston College, Wake Forest, Syracuse, and Louisville. So I do see, don't fret if you're a Syracuse fan. I think they're going to get six wins, which should put them at a bowl game. But there are teams in this Atlantic division. It's so tough. Real quick, you're not going to beat Clemson in terms of a record. You're not going to beat Florida State. You're probably not going to beat NC State. Wake Forest and BC are going to be tough. They seem to be a year or two ahead of Syracuse. And then if Louisville is bad as I think they're going to be, they might get four or five wins, which could put Syracuse above them. So really can't see anybody putting Syracuse much higher than second to last. All right, so I'm with you at the top. I'm going Clemson, and that's getting followed up by Florida State. This is where we have our our little bit of disagreement. I'm going Boston College. I'm pretty high on the Eagles this year. I like what they're doing offensively. They're going to have Anthony Brown for the whole year. And then below them, I'll go NC State. Syracuse beats out Wake Forest in a tiebreaker because of the head-to-head. And then at the bottom is Louisville. Okay, cool. I didn't know we were on the same page. I just There's just something about it. Like Talent-wise, they should be okay, and Juwan Pass might be good. But, and another this is thing, not enough for me. It, it's not a complete team. Now, with NC State, 
is it more of you don't think Finley's that good, or is it sort of it's a combination the of a defensive of loss with Bradley yeah. Chubb and everything? It's a combination of those two things. You're losing Bradley Chubb again. I know you're returning a couple other guys, but Bradley Chubb was a once in a generation talent. I mean, that's a man. We look at this all the time. D- or Eric Dungy always singles out Bradley Chubb. He even did it today by when he was asked about the competition that he faces in the ACC Atlantic. He would he says those are some men on the defensive side yeah, on all these teams. For, he even said, like, I know we go up against Clemson, but what about Bradley Chubb from NC State? I mean, he sings the Ooh. praises of Bradley Chubb. So Coda Martin's got his hands full. <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> but that, and then along with the fact that I don't think Finley is as good as people say he is. Eric Dungy outperformed him in that game. Very fair. Let's see what happens. But I think those are... Pretty good predictions for Syracuse. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, but anywhere but last is a pretty good start and then get that bowl game. Yep, absolutely. All right, coming up, Fizz Feedback to close up the shop. You're listening to Fizz Radio. Closing bell here on Fizz Radio. Tyler Anki and Jonathan Hoppy. Got you till 10 o'clock this Saturday morning. All right, we've got to run through Fizz Feedback real quick. So one of the things that we heard Eric Dungy say this week was that he's very high on his running backs, Dante Strickland and Mo Neal. He says Dante's one of the most underrated. At this point, he's an underrated running back in the eyes of Eric Dungy. And then Mo Neal has transformed his body, and Dungy's a big fan of what he could do in 2018. And we also heard Dino Babers say that Mo Neal will not play receiver. He is strictly a running back. So with all that in mind, he's high on his running backs. Are you drinking the Kool-Aid? I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. I, I, I'm a little bit disappointed by the fan results. Yeah, I didn't even. Fizz. Yeah, I didn't even read the fan results yet. Fifty-four percent say yes, they are high wow. on the running backs. Forty-six say no. That's a high percentage for me. I, I, I'd like to be. You know, if I rephrased it to, are you optimistic? I would say yes, because I'm optimistic because they're going to have better blocking, okay? And then they're going to have a better chance to showcase their skills. Therefore, they're going to, quote-unquote, improve. So I would be optimistic, but to say I'm high on the running backs, no, I am not. There are so many better running backs in the ACC and around the country than Dante Strickland and Moneal. I think Moneal is the better of the two, but... They've got to show me something. I have not seen anything from either of them right now. Really, some of the worst running backs in the ACC reside in Syracuse. If you want to look at position team by team, Syracuse does not have good running backs. See, this is where I disagree with you. Mo Neal finished last year 10th in the ACC, tied for 10th in yards per carry. And now that he, I think he's going to see more of a feature role in this in this running game because I think he's going to emerge as the guy, much how they want to see the guy emerge at the receiver position, I think Mo Neal is going to take this thing by the neck and run with it because he's got the home run potential that Syracuse so desperately needs. And if they can add that one component to their offense, a running game that's consistent and then it also has that potential to be a big hitter at times because, again, We've seen so many times you get a 30-yard pass play, then you run to the line, and then you stuff it right into the center's back for a negative gain. And you said the P word there, potential, right? That's what I want to see is that potential. But I feel like Bo Neal has shown that potential. He has shown, shown it in waves, but the thing is It's is more that is he going to get the playing time, and I think this is the year we finally see him crack through that rotation because, again, he's got to play with his feet on fire this year because 
Guess who's coming in 2019? Abdul Pretty damn Adams. good back, Abdul. Adams. I'm excited about that. Card. But yeah. let's let's say this about Moniel. He's got that yards per play number because he did not get that many touches as compared to other backs but in the he, ACC. Well, right, compared to other backs. He had more yards last year than Dante Strickland on fewer carries. I think it was about 35 fewer carries. So that says something to me. Seems like the better option, and it's interesting to hear that he won't play any receiver at all. I, I, I could line him up in the slot occasionally. but And I think they will. They probably will. They're also going to, you know run some screens for him and things like that. So I'm not high on this group by any means. I'm optimistic that they'll be better, but they've shown me nothing to get too excited about. Yeah, I'm in on Moniel. I'm not so much on Dante Strickland. I don't think Dante Strickland. Come on, Dante. Prove us wrong. Dante Strickland will not get a lot of touches in a bowl game if they have it. All right, that's going to do it for us here on Fizz Radio from Charlotte, North Carolina, the home of Jonathan Hoppe and ACC Media Kickoff. I'm Tyler Rocky. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week, Orange Nation.